Outkick 360 rolls on. Hour number two is here. The Tennessee Power Hour alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. No Paul Koharski today. A well-deserved day off as he attends Simon's graduation. I don't know if this is fifth or sixth grade. I want to say sixth, but... He's so we, we were doing the math on this. Eleven-year-olds are in fifth grade. He's in eleven under baseball. I know that. So, so it's fifth. It's, it's got to be fifth grade. He's probably oh, you're headed, right. He's headed to middle school. So that's sixth, seventh, eighth. Junior high is seventh and eighth grade. I live in a world where, like, I always say when someone says, "How old are you?" I always say, "I'm about to be X." Like, no yeah. matter what the year is, you round up. Yeah, so you're a roundup guy. Maybe I've heard Paul say age. sixth because he's about to be in sixth. This can be confusing for a lot of people because if you're like me, we had a really weird school system in that mm-hmm. it was K through six for elementary, which isn't always the case. Then when I was in school, we had junior high, which was seventh, eighth, ninth grade in the same building. You weren't in high school until tenth grade mm. when I grew up, and then it shifted when I was in junior high, where the junior high was just seventh and eighth. Sixth grade didn't wasn't added to that but just two grades, and then we went to the annex. So there was a ninth grade only school in Mount Juliet, and we had our own building separate of the high school that was a ninth grade annex, and you only changed classes and went to school with ninth graders, and then your high school year started in 10th grade the next year. So it's very different now that everyone considers high school ninth grade, right? Most people. I do. I mean, you and I are not that different in age, two well, years. You look at and it now I, and you feel my like... My high school started in ninth grade. It's like I went to school in Oxfordshire, England <laughs> with the way the grades worked out. Like you tell people, it's like I'm Canadian. Like I also attended university and not college, the way the school systems w- uh, was in Mountain Juliet at the time. But it was very different now. So we've come to this conclusion that we think Simon's graduating fifth grade, and that is his elementary graduation he will now move to middle school, which is 6th, 7th, 8th grade. I can also report this, and I'm trying to keep a tally. This is our 49th show that we've done with the Outkick 360 since we came over on March 15th. 49th show. This is the first day one of the hosts have been out. This is our first two-person show since we've been here. Well done. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back. Well done. But that's a, that's a, a pretty good period of time to go without one person being out. Right? I like that. Yeah. Let's keep. Let's start the new streak. Also, no surprise, it was Paul Koharski. That was the first <laughs> one that's out. I think everyone that's watching right now or listening, not surprised at all that Paul's the first one to miss. David Reed and Jakob Swanson making the show happen here from Blackbird Studios, the Blackbird Academy. We love being here in Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee. And that is where the Nashville Predators return home tomorrow, Game 3, in a series where they trail 0-2. They trail by two games right out of the gate against the Carolina Hurricanes after last night's defeat. The Preds played well. I mean, we, we can sit there and, and watch that game and say the Preds play well. We can also say they are not good enough to beat this Carolina team. And last night, UC Saros was. He was excellent. And that's a game, as Joe Rexrode pointed out from The Athletic, that is a game that UC Saros played well enough to steal to get a game that the Preds were not able to score, get a late goal, take it to OT, whatever it took, to get a win and bring the series back tied 1-1. They played well, but the fact of the matter is they are nowhere close to as good as Carolina. Credit the Hurricanes for closing. They've done that in the last two games. But, Chad, your takeaway, watching this Predators team get close again. It's one nothing. 
They're in striking distance. It ends up 3-0 at the end. Uh, and those goals count. But to get it to, after that early goal on the power play for Carolina, it's one nothing. And to keep that with the way Soros was playing, I understand the frustration from Predators fans that say, should have won that game and didn't. And then I understand the frustration when Predators fans hear the same old crap in these post-game press conferences uh, talking about their team playing hard. And it's not just John Hines. It's some of the players as well. We heard this going back to the tournament last year in, in the postseason about the team playing hard. No one wants to hear that anymore. Uh, there are different expectations. And there's pressure on John, John Hines to deliver with this group. There's pressure on these players to deliver. There is pressure on David Poyle to deliver. And they're not doing that. And it speaks volumes to me that not only are they the, the, the decided underdog in this series, it's obvious, it is clear and obvious that they are the real underdog in this matchup. That's the most glaring issue. It's not that they've lost these two games to a better team. It's how far and distant they are apart uh, when you watch both teams on the ice and the expectations that both clubs have. So 2017 was the run to the Stanley Cup final. They go from that to losing in the second round to Winnipeg in a great seven-game series the next year. Mm -hmm. Not a bad showing at all. They go from there to losing in the first round to a hungrier Dallas Stars team the next year when the Preds were the favorite in that series. They go to the next year where they were once again a slight favorite, I believe, against Arizona and got whipped in four games in a best-of-five series. Which is almost an afterthought. To end the season, right. Yeah. And it was almost a throwaway because of right. everything surrounding right. the, the pandemic and everything else. And now they come back this year, and we're talking about just how much worse they are than Carolina. And it's so clear on the ice, and it's so clear throughout the season. This is a team that has fallen off the cliff. And they are going down, 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 down since 2017. And I think the, the broader question is, Everything you said is right, Hutton. Why is Carolina so much better than the Preds? This was a team that's supposed to be in a window to compete for a Stanley Cup, and they are so clearly outclassed in this series, it's a problem. There's a rookie goalie in net for Carolina, and they can't score a single goal. And they played great. I agree with you. They played the game they needed to play to win and could not score one goal. And on the power play time and time again, Seven power plays, and I'm watching those power plays. Those shots aren't getting to net. Well, they are not challenging the goalie. Every shot so right. is blocked in the slot. You're right. They're not even getting it on the goalie, so they're not really applying the pressure you'd want to apply on a rookie goalie. And this all comes in a game where we're saying, boy, you know, for the Preds, they played, they played really well. They played pretty good. That's Why the though? style they need to play to win that game. And yes, it's three to nothing. It's really one to nothing. Right. They score the the empty netter. Which I called it yesterday. I said they're going to you score did. an empty netter to win by two. Didn't think the cheapie would happen after that to make it three. But this is a problem for the Preds organization that we're coming off this game. And I know we've got some audio and video we may play also of, of post game. But I think this whole mentality and this resignation from the fans that, well, Carolina is just better. They are. It's okay to admit that Carolina is just better and they're clearly going to win this series. But this is headed for a four-game sweep. Friday night's the night. Friday night when they come back home, it's going to be an energized crowd. That's the game they need to win if they're going to win a single game in this series. It, I just don't see them after that game where the, everybody admits, even the coaches and players, they played really well and they lost three to nothing. 
I don't see how they're winning a game in this series. Well, and the link I had sent Jacob early this morning with the audio, the, the audio was gone. So I don't know if the if the tweet okay. was deleted that I had or what, but the link wasn't active. But it was audio of John Hines' post game, and by now it's it's been across all over the place of of him you know, taking issue with Joe Rexroad's question about whether or not UC Soros play well enough to steal one on the road in the postseason in Game Two, which he did, he did, and. The second one was by Steve Lehman of News Channel 5. Asked him what positives you take away and try to build around based on the fact that you think your team played well. Because his reaction to Rex Road asking about Soros was, well, I thought our team played well. I thought our team played great. No, you, no. you were shut out. Did you see the shorthanded goal attempts by Carolina? They didn't go in because UC Soros played really well. But your power play is terrible. Terrible. And you're losing this series because you can't find an offense. You can't find two goals. That's a game you can win 2-1. I think on most nights, this Predators team wins 2-1 against Carolina in the regular season. But this is the playoff hockey style and mentality of one of the best teams in the league in Carolina, and Nashville's nowhere close to matching it. And I think that's the most disturbing part. When I say the separation in the teams, your head coach is saying that you played hard, you played great, and it's not just the goaltender uh, th- that kept that game one nothing. Uh, Yossi played well. We should put him in that boat, too. Aside from that, though, if everything is true in that statement, you are nowhere close to winning this series. And Chad is right. You're on your way to getting swept if that's the mentality of this team. Reed, as you watched this last night, as, as a Preds fan, what's going through your mind at one nothing versus when they score the second goal and knowing that they're coming back down 0-2. My, my initial thought was when we got the inactives and Jacob or Jakob Slavin, as I like to call him, <laughs> yeah. in uh, honor of uh, our Jakob, I thought this is their chance to get one. If they're going to get one on the road, it's going to be because of this. So yep. um, I have a lot of things to say about this. First of all, I'm kind of glad this is happening. I'm kind of glad that this was a shortened season and everything was rearranged the way it was because had this been a normal season, we would have been competing in the Western Conference and beating teams like Chicago mm. and Detroit and Dallas and making a run in the playoffs only to find out that, yep, this team's good enough to compete in the West, but when you run into the other conference, you're just not good enough because the Carolina Hurricane are showing you that you are just not good enough to win a Stanley Cup at this moment. And I don't know really where that starts. Here's uh, here's where kind of starts for me. I want a number one center who plays like a number one center every single shift and is not apathetic on defense. Can we send him back to Columbus? Is Seth jo- Will they make that trade? I'll take Seth Jones right now. I'll take Matt Duchesne on that number one line as the center over what I'm seeing out of Ryan Johansson. And he wanted to act like a big tough guy last night and, and face swipe someone when there was only going to be one penalty on that play. The one. Canes were going back to the box, and he and he throws that little punch at whatever at the end and acts like he wants to go. If you want to go, if you want to be a big, bad man, Ryan, here's what I want you to do. Do it when the puck is on your stick. How many times in the past have we heard David Poyle say, Ryan Johansson has to play like a power forward? And how many times have we seen that? Rarely. Rarely have we seen that. Rarely have we seen a fan base so dismissive of a Predators coach as well. Um, they went on the run, and John Hines gets a lot of credit 
for putting this team into the postseason and punching the right buttons. The players get credit for turning things on when they did. David Poyle gets credit for sticking with the roster that he had. Now they deserve blame for what we've seen. That's fair. If you're going to give them, prop them up, uh, they, they deserve the vitriol that they're getting from this fan base, and I hope they hear more of it, um, especially in this city, uh, by asking more questions. There were all fair questions last night in that post-game media press conference from what I heard. And look, the bottom line is, it's not just John Hines. Uh, it starts up top now with David Poyle because they are the clear and decided underdog in this series. And when you commit to this group and this core player, these core group of players that are not producing time and time again, you have to ask yourself, why is this not good enough? Why did we commit $16 million to certain players in a core group this year instead of committing that money elsewhere? And at some point you have to look in the mirror and understand that's a terrible decision and it's time to move on. That's the direction we're headed with this, and that's the frustration that is clearly seeping out when I hear comments from David Poyle and when I hear John Hines get defensive over a question about his goaltender playing good enough to win when the rest of the team around him did not. You can say they played physical, and you can say they showed great effort last night, and they did. But the reality is it's not good enough no matter what they're paying these dudes. That's the disturbing part about their lineup. Well, and to quickly just recap what John Hines said, it was Joe Rexrode and Steve Lehman that said it. Joe Rexrode of The Athletic and Steve Lehman of News Channel 5. The questions were very fair, as you mentioned, Hutton. And it was essentially, the first one was, hey, your goalie played well enough to steal a game, which you need in a series like this, and you couldn't come through. How frustrating is that? John Hines made it sound like, uh, which goal are you talking about stole the game? And then uh, <laughs> very dismissive, uh, well, we played great. We played hard. Steve Lehman's follow-up was, how do you – extract some sort of positive momentum from a, a game like that. And the response from John Hines was, I don't know what game you guys are when watching, but we played great. How do we you play extract hard. positives when you're so bad on power play? Yeah, we played hard. And we giving played up hard. the shorthanded attempts that you're allowing against, a, against your goaltender that's playing great. Well, it, that's, that, that's, that, that is a fair question to ask to a coach it's totally fair. after a game where you had that one nothing in the third period. It's totally fair. And John Hines saying, I don't know what game you're watching. And Are we watching the same pretends game? Pretends that it's one nothing. We played hard. Whatever. Here's the problem. I should, re, I should restate what I said earlier about the Preds playing well. They played well at even strength. They played well five on five, yeah. four on four. They had better chances. They had more chances. They had more possession at even strength. They had seven power plays that if you flipped on the TV and said there's a power play happening, you would say, I don't know which team's on the power play. That is a problem. There were times where it looked like Carolina was on the power play and not the Preds. And I can't say that they played great when that's such a big part of your game. When you've got 14 minutes of a 60-minute game on a power play where you're completely ineffective, so much so that the other team is getting better chances, shorthanded, then you didn't play great. That's a pretty big part of your game is special teams, and you didn't play great when that happened. They played great at even strength over the course of that game. I think we agree. UC Soros played great. Mm -hmm. Overall, they did not play great, and I'm tired of Preds, coaches, and players continuing to try to tell everyone how great they played and about their effort in losing efforts. And I don't want to hear about that, and no one does in a 3 to nothing loss. I really think it's that simple with this team. The bigger question, one we're going to get into this offseason, which is coming in a hurry for this Preds team, 
by Monday, I think we'll be talking about this because they'll be out of the playoffs by then. How is the gap that big? How is the gap that wide between a team in 2017 that went to a Stanley Cup final to the team now who the coach and the players are saying, guys, we're playing with so much effort, we're playing great, and losing three to nothing and down 0-2 in a series? How did we get here? Well, and the conversation will also switch to what do we as an organization do, and the, 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 the narrative will turn to what do the Preds do as an organization with all of these big contracts and how long do they continue to go at this pace knowing it's not going to work? You can wish upon a star and think that Ryan Johansson's going to be a complete player. He's not. And that Matt Duchesne's going to become an alpha. He's not. Right? Like the, that he's going to play more than 10 minutes per game. Um, that, that you're going to be able to win a defensive style matchup against a team like Carolina. And again, I, I thought in game one, Carolina outworked Nashville, especially in that third period. That was not the case last night. No. But it's still not good enough. And that's, that is disturbing just to watch it. It's, it's disturbing and it's um, also it's a helpless feeling when you're paying skill guys to be skilled guys and you get on a power play and that's the result in those seven power plays. And you know that it's not going to get any better. I, I mentioned earlier I, I was recording something last night so I didn't watch the game live. I watched it on DVR. I knew the result. And I knew and watched the post-game press conference. And so I'm trying to find the did we watch the same game controversy. And, and trying to find the, the, the idea that somehow Soros played great and the, the Preds shouldn't have been able to quote-unquote steal a game in net from, from Soros. They absolutely, he absolutely played good enough to win and the Preds should have won that game based on that effort. And as I'm watching that, especially in that first period, early second period, uh, as I'm watching that and thinking about John Hines' comments, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, did we watch the same game? Because Saros was outstanding, and other than Yossi, it's tough to point to a player that I thought was outstanding last night. Reed, did you, can you name, uh, who's like number three on your list of great players that stood out to you last night? If we're making a list of standout game two overall play and observation. I thought it was Soros, Yossi, who bounced back well. Who's next? Like, it, it's tough to point to anybody. Matt Benning played well, <laughs> but the bar was so low when you're stepping in for Harper. Yeah. Uh, Luke Cunning plays well when he's on the ice, but he's only on the ice when you're on 5-on-5 five five because he's not on any of the special teams. Yeah. So you're also hurting yourself there. And it's also... A, it's an indictment, I think, on Dante Fabro that a rookie and Alex Carrier is on the ice in a playoff situation. Is he hurt? I don't know. If, I, he was he was, he was back for that Saturday night game against Carolina, and I want to say he was out again for. But he's not. He, he wasn't on any of the injury list that I saw. Here's what I think's happening with John Hines. I think we clearly see with some of the younger players on this team, the style of hockey he wants to play. He wants to play a rough and tumble, slow it down, beat people up hockey. And that's perfectly fine when you're getting the production from your top lines or even your second line, which is not happening. That, that style of defense last night was what they needed to win a game, to steal a game. But when you're not getting performance from Forsberg or Arvidsson or Johansson or Duchesne or, or Cunning, I mean, it's you're not going to win very many games like that. And that, to me, it's... There's going I, to be some difficult decisions made in the offseason, 
and there's going to be a lot of Predators fans who are heartbroken. So just spitballing here, honest. my honest reaction when I hear Poyle on Monday locally during interviews be critical and, and, and critically thinking through roster lineup changes based on Monday's result on Tuesday. He's very honest, and I love him for it. I, I love chatting with David Poyle because he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. And then I hear John Hines get defensive for the second consecutive postgame about their effort and style of play. I cannot help but think, and, and I may be way off base here, that he's, being, he's defensive of his job. Yeah. I, I can't help but go there and think that in that moment based on the just eyebrow-raising comments that we're seeing from him after he's just, oh, so happy-go-lucky after they make the postseason over the, over the weekend. You know, he's like, oh, your guy's playing. And it's just be, be truthful and forthright and honest about it. And I, I just I think he's being more defensive than he is being honest assessment of what he's seen in front of him. Uh, it, he struck me as a guy that one of two things happened. Either he knows he's fired and he's getting pissy but and defensive about his team, or he knows he's fine, and now I can start saying – he can start challenging the media the way he wants in these press conferences because yeah. he's not petitioning for the job at that point. I'm either good or I'm out. And now I can tell you people what I think of you, and I don't like my GM what? going on interviews and talking about lineup changes and everything else. I think one of two is true. I also think this is a really funny tweet uh, from Wes from Franklin, who is a loyal season ticket holder of Outkick 360, who said after those comments, I'm really curious what New Jersey Devils games GM David Poyle was watching that made him think Hines would be a good hire <laughs> after he made those comments. Hey, uh, and and I, that's now also, look, everything is fair. Well, don't they whatever have, like, they we had some have connection with fair. USA Hockey or something, didn't yes, they? Yes, but whatever connection we want to discuss now or whatever yeah. situation with the Preds, I mean, I think everything sure. is on the table. I'm getting texts from people that says Hines has got to go and other people saying Poyle's got to go and then it's someone saying everyone's got to go and you got to start from scratch. I don't know that I've come to a conclusion on exactly what should happen. I just know something has to give. Something has to happen. One thing we know David Poyle is willing to make something happen if he feels improvements have to be made. Yeah. I don't know if David Poyle is going to be the one pulling the trigger on this one, this go around, but something's got to something's got to go down. I just I haven't seen this is a fan base that's very defensive of its team in when the going gets tough and any critical element. And when I say fan base, I'm lumping everyone in. There are people that are very analytical and level-headed and minded about it, but it, there are others with the you know the, the ones that wear face masks, uh, like wrestlers, luchadors, who you know will come out and say, "How dare you be critical of this national of my Preds?" Which is fine; it's their prerogative. But I see even those fans being very dismissive of John Hines, and I haven't seen that a lot from this fan base with a, with any individual head coach over the years just thinking back through it there you know Laviolette grew old with a lot of people but there was at least a divisive line between is it Poyle is it Laviolette or should should Laviolette get another opportunity to finish things out right like yep. with John Hines it's like you know two games they've lost two screw this guy he's terrible he was fired for a reason GTFO uh, it's I get the same sense from fans. And that's just me scrolling Twitter and reading the, 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 the tweets and, and the live reaction from fans, which the Preds do. 
which Sean Henry does, which David Poyle hears about. Um, they, they do the exact same thing. And internally, whether or not they'll admit it or not, they have to be thinking the same thing because they need to sell season tickets. And right now, this fan base is growing more and more frustrated and not willing to buy into the message that you're sending that this is a rough and tumble, tough team that brings it every night. We're not seeing that. Uh, and even if we are, it's not measuring up to the best teams in the league, which is ultimately what you're trying to sell. Coming up, John McClain. We switch gears and we talk NFL headlines with the, gen with, with the general. The man, the man black, in black is what we call the legend, him on this show. The Hall of Famer. He's got many, many nicknames, and he's got uh, many memories of the NFL. I'm not calling him just old. I'm telling you he's a genius, and you're going to want to watch it. Tim Tebow is in a Jacksonville Jaguars uniform today. John McClain's thoughts on that next on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on in the Tennessee Power Hour alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, pleased to be joined by our, our favorite guest, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John, it is always great to have you on. There are always NFL headlines to talk about, and you're going to be in town on June the 12th right here in Music City. We're going to tell our, our listeners and our viewers more about that in a moment, an event you're pairing up with Jeff Fisher and Eddie George. But first, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me on as always. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever seen a press release like the one the Jacksonville Jaguars sent out earlier today when they announced the signing of the 90th man on their roster, tight end Tim Tebow? Never, but there's never been. 90th man on a roster like Tim Tebow, Heisman Trophy winner, a guy who has a lot of fans and a lot of detractors. Admire his college coach, being the new head coach of the Bears. He'd be back doing TV broadcasts. He'd still be bouncing around the league system, but one in 15, 15 consecutive losses and it's all publicity it can get to try to generate interest. I can understand why they're doing it with Tebow because he is certainly generating more interest in that franchise with Urban Meyer and, of course, Trevor Lawrence. You know, I, the, the, the interest angle is intriguing to me because it's not like they need to generate more interest. They just drafted Trevor Lawrence. They have Urban Meyer. Uh, what, what they're building is, is fine. Why bring in Tim Tebow with all the distraction and the hoopla that we know will come with that? I'm guessing that he asked Urban Meyer for a tryout. People thought he should be a tight end when he came in the NFL. When people said that, his fans just went ballistic. You know, this guy's a quarterback. He's going to be a great quarterback for the Broncos. And, and the only person that thought he was the number one pick was their head coach at the time, Josh McDaniels. So I think that Tebow, after being out eight years, I'd be shocked if he makes the team. But it's created a lot of interest in Jacksonville. They still need to sell tickets. They're not selling out every game because they have Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. And another thing about Tebow is he can do a lot of things in the public. You know, he can create a lot of interest. Get out and go to different fan clubs and groups and do what he can. But he has a long shot to make that roster, even one that's being rebuilt. 
John, uh, it's, it, we're, you're on with us in the Tennessee Power Hour, and it's a story that's getting a lot of attention locally. The Tennessee Titans, when they list the analytics departments for every NFL team, they're the lone team that's NA. They don't have an analyst in their, in their organization. What's your reaction when you see that story? Kind of like there's a lot of teams that, that have analytics and don't call it analytics. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, but there are a lot of teams. Texans don't call them analytics, but they have a whole department under a, a different type of name. NFL teams are so secretive. You'd think they were the Kremlin. But based on what uh, has happened with that team under John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, if I was fans, I would have faith in them, especially because they're the favorite to win the division again. The Texans will open the preseason in, what, three, three and a half months against Green Bay. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be on the sideline, not playing in that preseason game, but standing on the sideline next to Matt LaFleur in that game? The thing about that, he's not getting paid. If he's not there, he's going to get fined a lot. But uh, the game checks start when the regular season begins. But they've made it really tough in the new collective bargaining agreement that the players agreed to that there are a lot of stiff fines if you miss games or if you miss training camp days when you're under contract. So I'm guessing he doesn't want to lose all that money and fines. So I'm going to guess he will be on the sideline uh, watching his eventual replacement, Jordan Love, play against the Texans probably their rookie quarterback, Davis Mills. John, I'm going to ask you about the quarterback controversy, the quarterback that everyone's talking about across the league. No, it's not Aaron Rodgers. It's Jeff Driscoll signing with your Houston Texans. What do you make of the one-year deal for, for Jeff Driscoll in Houston? Same thing I made of almost every other one- or two-year deals. They signed with veterans who either can't play or haven't played recently. Jeff Driscoll being the fifth quarterback on the roster, counting Deshaun Watson, but I don't expect him to be on the roster when the season begins. And Driscoll be competing for a job with, say, Ryan Finley. They trade a sixth-round pick to Cincinnati to get him. There's no guarantee he's going to make the team. Driscoll's bounced around. He's a journeyman. You know, they're loaded with journeymen. So you've got these uh, quarterback, these interesting quarterback-receiver combos that were college teammates now playing together in the NFL. you got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tua, and Jalen Waddell, and Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. John, do you think this is something that could start a trend and it makes sense for teams? Or is it merely these are the best receivers in the draft because all of these guys are coming from the best programs in college football, and it's just coincidence it worked out this way? Chad, I think it's an aberration because this was a great, year for wide receivers they said last year was a great year for wide receivers but most of those guys take time to develop unless you're Justin Jefferson at Minnesota who was fabulous but these guys were top-notch all-rated top 15 prospects and if they can get some familiarity with the quarterback then that more power to them but these guys are top top receiver prospects I can't wait to see how they do with the new teams, no matter what quarterback they're playing with. John McClain with us. He's with the Houston Chronicle, and you can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John, Jawan James released by the Denver Broncos uh, 
early this week, over the, over the weekend, and then he tweets out that, hey, if the NFLPA is going to ask the players to not show up to these voluntary workouts and instead work out on our own and we get injured, like Jawan James did, the NFLPA needs to have our backs. Do you agree with James, and what did you make of that story? First of all, I think players are smart enough to make up their own mind. Most players have reported. They know because it's in the collective bargaining agreement, and their agents have told them, and their teams have told them, if you get hurt away from the facility, there's a chance you're not going to get Now, if you're a great player, say it happened to Derrick Henry. Of course, they're going to pay Derrick Henry. But when you're a guy in in Juwan James' situation, played three games after signing there in 19, opted out last year, you're gone. You're a test case. They had another guy blow out his knee. He's gone too. And the union can squawk about it all at once. Well, the team told them what to do. That doesn't matter. It's clearly covered in the CBA, and that's why I do not know why players would not be working out at their facilities. Remember, when the union first recommended that, he said it because of COVID-19. Well, what is a safer place than a team's facility where you can get vaccinated, you can get tested every day, get the results back in an hour, plus you got all the protocols in place from last year. There's no safer place for a player than with its team. And how strange is it that we're now seeing individual teams and its players discuss off-season regiment, much like in Philadelphia that's not even going to have these types of workouts uh, after discussing things with vets. Your thoughts on the, the team-by-team basis instead of the NFLPA and the NFL discussing this? Give them more money than they've ever got, given them for showing up. Uh, I can't remember now how many players. I think 430 had workout bonuses. A player like Brandon Cooks, the tag best receiver has a 500,000 workout bonus. So, of course, he's here. The union encouraged those players, go in and get your money. But I can talk like the Texans. When they initially started, they had over they had over 50% the first day. They've had over 70 players each day of phase two this week. And players come and go since it's voluntary. And most of what the Texans have done, it's all walkthrough. And uh, phase three, which is 10 OTAs next week, they can do nine on seven, seven on seven, whatever they want. Gee, there's no hitting and there's no pads. It's basically patty cake football. And I don't know why they're all complaining about it. John McLean from the Houston Chronicle, our guest on Outkick 360. John, I want your gut reaction right now to this question. Will Julio Jones suit up for the Atlanta Falcons this season? I'm going to say no, Chad Like, and I think that one of the things that will happen team with an extra second-round pick, say, in 2022, might be the most likely to trade for him. But they'd have to redo a contract. Nobody wants his salary cap figure. The Falcons have the worst cap situation in the league. They redid Matt Ryan, pushed him to next year, $48.5 million cap hit. That won't be the case. They'll have to redo it again. In fact, that they were trying to trade him before the draft and didn't get any takers, considering his age and how many games he missed with an injury last year, it's going to be hard to do. They might have to settle for a conditional three that could be a two based on the playing time. Follow-up question, John. How good would Julio Jones look in a Titans uniform in 2021? If he's healthy, he'd look good in anybody's uniform. 
and he would certainly help A.J. Brown if they think they are a wide receiver away from being a legitimate Super Bowl contender, then he would be worth a three that could be a two if indeed the Falcons would take that. But he's coming off an injury-plagued season, and receivers get up at this age most of the time, not all of them. Larry Fitzgerald being a great example. Most of them uh, start to decline. But if they could get another year or two out of Julio Jones, he would fit well, I think, with any team that needed another receiver to get to that next level. I know we've been discussing the for the last two years Indianapolis and their cap space. I don't know why they wouldn't chase Julio Jones and try to pair him with Carson Wentz and in Indy. Uh, to me, that's a perfect sense type move, perfect fit. Um, that and I know they're one of the teams mentioned, John. But there are more teams than just locally right here with the Titans that could use Julio Jones, the veteran savvy, and that future Hall of Fame quality. They've already given up draft picks next year for uh, Carson Wentz. I can't imagine Chris Ballard, the way he usually protects those draft picks as a general manager, wants to start doing that. You know, they were good enough to tie the Titans, and, of course, both of them lost in the first playoff game. But they've done some things to improve the team, and they believe starting with Carson Wentz. But I don't see him giving up picks after what he gave up for Wentz. John McClain with us. He's going to be in town on June the 12th with Jeff Fisher, Eddie George, John Dwyer, and George Plaster. John, tell us what you're doing with Jeff Fisher on the farm right here in Music City. Well, first of all, you can get those tickets for go hfmills.org. They're 258. They're for the Heimerdinger Foundation after the late, great Mike Heimerdinger. Longtime NFL offensive coordinator, including with the Titans. Everybody like and respected Mike. They've done a tremendous job with that annual event. It's been a golf tournament in the past. And Fisher called me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing the same thing we used to do with the McLean dinners and 13 years in a row, in which we get up on the stage and we start telling stories. Everybody gets great food, autographs, pictures. A great event. As I tell everybody, it's tax deductible. You can give your money to Uncle Sam, or you can give it to the Heimerdinger Foundation and know it's going for a great cause. That's uh, hfmills.org. And I really appreciate you guys letting us promote it because I'm really looking forward to it. And I can't wait to see the new Tennessee State head coach, Eddie George, in <laughs> 1996 as an Oilers rookie. I, I can't wait to try this menu. I mean, I, I, it, it, you mentioned the ticket price and the website and the off-the-record conversation. You're having wild Alaskan halibut along with some kind of pea shoot salad. Uh, it sounds like an offense. It doesn't sound like a meal. But uh, that's what you, John McClain brings to the table at these events. I, I can't wait to see what this is all about, John. I have no idea where Kingston's Springs is where Jeff's got his farm out there. You guys could tell me. All I know is I'll be out there early greeting everybody the way I used to for the uh, Charles Davis Foundation dinners, and I can't wait to see people. This is the first charity I've done out there because of the pandemic. It's two years ago when we did the thing for uh, leukemia. Jonathan, yep. uh, that was a great event. And then the annual thing I did for Duchenne muscular dystrophy with my buddy Jim Caden and Mike Vrabel and John Robinson. And last year, I did not get to come up with those events. And now I'm fired up about coming back for something besides football. And it's all to benefit the Heimerdinger Foundation, hfmills.org. 
for more information on this great event. John, thank you as always for the time. We certainly appreciate the conversation. We'll chat again soon on Outkick 360. Jonathan and Chad, it's always great to talk with you guys. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. John McLean of the Houston Chronicle has been our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. We're going to talk some more NFL headlines, some Titans football, Preds hockey, and much more straight ahead. But first, Chad, let us know about Renters Warehouse. John McLean, notable Baylor alum. Also, though, not many people knew this. Got his graduate degree from the Culinary Institute of America. That's how he came up with that menu for that event. If you go to either of those schools, you're going to learn how to make some money. And that's what Renter's Warehouse is all about, helping you maximize and make more money and helping you in uncertain times. If you own rental property and need cash and you're worried about receiving rent on time, which is a problem for a lot of people right now, you can get the most out of your real estate investment by receiving a full year of rent paid up front. That's up to a year of rent payments in your pocket right now by giving your money up front renters warehouse helps minimize risk and provides financial flexibility so you can build long-term wealth the upfront rent program available for a limited time just call renters warehouse nashville at 615-398-9550 you can see the number on the screen if you're watching again the number is 615-398-9550 or visit rwnashville.com to see if you qualify RentersWarehouse.com. Do it the Renters Warehouse way and get tomorrow's rent today. Hit us up in the chat on the YouTube chat and on Twitter at Outkick360 as the show goes on. Outkick360 wrapping up what's been a fun show. PK will be back with us tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Our thanks to John McClain for joining us today. Also, Ryan Leaf. If you missed both of those conversations or either, you can go back on the podcast wherever you download your podcast. And we hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just search out Outkick360 channel. That's key. Outkick360 channel, to the end of it. channel at the top of YouTube. As we grow the base, we will pop up in more YouTube algorithms, but we need your help with that. Uh, several of you have already done that, and by doing that, you can go to Outkick's VIP page and type in OK VIP, or 360 VIP, excuse me, 360 VIP, and that's going to get you 30% off VIP membership at Outkick.com. Parlay time, 360 yes. parlay. Chad lost his yesterday. I'm applauding my loss last night. Two no, out of three, hit. He hit Monday night, Two lost last night, so it's now on me. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Uh, that is the website that you're seeing here, and here is tonight's two-team parlay. Courtesy of Jonathan Hutton. $5 is what all three of us are going to place, uh, plus 297 on the odds. We're taking the Pacers, plus three and a half. They put up 144 points. Correct me if I'm wrong, 144 points in regulation in their last game, in that, their play-in matchup. That is correct. Michael staying, Jordan ain't walking through that door for the Charlotte Hornets, even though he owns the team. I'm, <laughs> I'm staying with the, the hot offense for the Pacers. I'm taking the points. I think this is a final three minutes, tight matchup. Let's go. And then... The Vegas Golden Knights, they've hit the under, way under, over their last two games. It's time to go over. These are two really solid offensive teams playing tonight with the Knights in the wild. This is the something's got to give play. I'm taking the over five and a half goals tonight 
for our two-team parlay, the 360 parlay, at FanDuel.com. Let's go. I'm taking your advice, Hutton, on this, and this is how we're going to do it. We'll ride the hot hand. I won two nights ago. I lost last night. It now goes, the responsibility goes to you for the 360 parlay, so I'm taking your advice. I've placed the bet. I'm ready to go with these games tonight. Tennessee also looking like they may be a little bit Another, more ready to go on defense. Yeah, they got absolutely. a parlay going defensively. Yeah, so uh, when you look at Tennessee's incoming football transfers, and what they lost is significant. The top two transfers in the entire market, based on what list you look on, Henry Toho Toho and also Eric Gray. Wanye Morris, another top ten player that's out as well. So they're losing a lot. What do they gain? Defensively alone, Caleb Tremblay, defensive end from USC, Dejon Terry, defensive tackle from Kansas. Juwan Mitchell, linebacker from uh, Texas. Auburn, a cornerback, uh, that, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but they get some cornerback depth with him. And today announced William, I'm going to pronounce it as Mohan. Yeah, you nailed it. Probably something else. Thank you, Hutton. <laughs> Sounds perfect. He's from Brooklyn, New York. When I think of Brooklyn, New York, I unfortunately think of Isaiah Wilson. He is staying the entire region for me for football players. But William Mohan was the number one ranked prospect in the state of New York. Four-star player, outside linebacker, 6'2", 205. He played in one game his freshman year, true freshman year at Michigan this last year. They're going in a different direction. Defensively, Tim Banks comes from Michigan to Tennessee. He brings over this linebacker. It's a good thing to have bodies at Tennessee. But I'm looking at this list, I'm thinking – there's probably four or five new defensive starters. Certainly Jawan Mitchell is going to start. He was the leading tackler for Texas a year ago, and they have a huge need at linebacker. I think Mohan has a chance to start. I think Dejon Terry from Kansas, which, who was one of their better players, has a chance to start on the interior defensive line. Um, I think the Auburn cornerback is going to add – I'm not talking deep depth. I'm talking he's going to be in the rotation yep. at corner. So – Josh Heupel doing some really nice things uh, in the transfer market. He couldn't help the guys who were committed to, to Jeremy Pruitt that left. I think they tried and uh, failed with those guys. I'm not going to put that on Josh Heupel for those players that wanted a different system. But a pretty good job of salvaging some roster spots in the transfer market for Tennessee. And I think you're going to see a completely uh, different defense in so certain instances with some of these transfers. Also keep in mind, You've got two quarterbacks that are going to compete for the starting job from transfers. Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech, and now Joe Milton also from Michigan. So all in all, pretty good job by Josh Heupel, considering what they lost in the transfer market, to swing pretty big for some guys in the incoming transfer market and land some of these guys. Well, it's a great preview for our Tennessee Power Hour tomorrow with Brent Hubs and Austin Price. Yeah, a lot to get to with that. Um, and there's... I think there's still more movement to be had, and I know that uh, Austin Price has been hinting at some of this. And I, I think there may be more movement to be had with guys leaving Tennessee as well. I, this is the reality of college football. There's always something that's going to be popping. The deadline is There's June always going to be someone coming in or right? someone going out. June 1st deadline? June 1st, and I think some guys will walk right up to that line before deciding. Yeah. David Reed's not walking to that line. He said he's staying. He's not leaving. Great job today by David Reed and Jakob Swanson, Lance Lee. Uh, wherever you may be, we know you're watching, sir. And we, we hope you are back soon. Becca Risley, appreciate you. Sleepy Danny, good morning to you as you prepare for Clay's show coming up in a couple of hours. Let me just say this on our, on our way out. You want to watch this show every day. You definitely want to watch it. You never want to watch this horrific movie 
that Jacob Swanson <laughs> told me to do the, to read the Wikipedia description of. We have this game where I will not watch horror movies or overly sadistic films, <laughs> but I love to read the Wikipedia plot of these films. And Jacob Swanson brought one in that was so disturbing that I will never be able to unsee the mental images of what it spells out in the plot on Wikipedia of this film. If you want to hit me up on Twitter or on, on social media and guess what the movie is, I may tell you if you are correct. But I am telling you, this is the first time that the movie was so horrific that I can't even repeat the name of the movie on this show. So don't do it. But the game we play with Jacob Swanson is fun. I do enjoy that daily. It doesn't and this movie doesn't involve one cup and two people. It does not. Okay. That does not. That's a different type of movie. That's actually on tomorrow's reading list. Jacob has that for me. It's him. also a fan favorite of Jacob Swanson. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's on my OnlyFans site. <laughs> we are back at it tomorrow. PK will be back with us tomorrow as well. Uh, he would love for you to know to not block the box, but do lock the locks. And since he's not here, can, I, can yeah, I close I, it out? Please and say, rise and do Can this. we get this camera on me as we, as we as we close out here? Just this is for you, Paul. <laughs> bang bang! Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.